So, uh, tonight, I think this is week seven, maybe, um, six or seven, I'm not sure. Uh, but it's the third week on the Trinity, specifically. And so this is the last week we will be spending on looking at the Trinity. And then the next weeks following this week, we'll be looking at the Father, we'll be looking at the Son, and then we'll be looking at the Spirit um, individually. So really, we're not done with the Trinity even tonight. It's just we're done looking at the Trinity as a whole. So tonight, as you can see, uh, we're looking specifically at what is called the economic Trinity. And if you remember, based on what we've talked about previously, that's referring to who God is in his works in creation and redemption, his works outside of himself. So you can see the works of God in creation and redemption there on the title. But let me open this up in prayer, and then we'll begin. Lord, we love you, and we thank you for the opportunity we have to look into your word and to see what um, you have to tell us about yourself, Lord. We thank you um, that you are our God, Lord, and that you have chosen to reveal yourself to us, that we can have a personal relationship with you, Lord. Lord, we thank you. Um, for sending your son uh, and that we could have redemption through the work that he has done for us on the cross, Lord. And I thank you for sending your spirit as well as he is now our helper and he uh, unites us to the son, Lord, and that we could then call you Abba Father because of that. Lord, I pray for this time that you'll uh, just be able to speak through me, Lord, and that you'll um, just open up our minds as we try to grasp the greatness of who you are, Lord, as we try to comprehend in a little way uh, the one who is ultimately um, uncomprehensible, Lord, who you are, Lord. I pray that you'll help us, that you'll give us your spirit, Lord, um, to reveal uh, these truths to us, Lord, and that we'll recognize that we could only understand these things because of your spirit working in us properly, Lord. I pray these things in your name. Amen. All right. Uh, two weeks ago, we talked about the Trinity as a whole. It was an overview. Uh, last week, we talked about the ontological Trinity or the Trinity in, in and of himself, right? Just who is the Trinity? And now it's externally. Who is God in the way he works in uh, creation and redemption? And in a way, this week is a little bit easier than last week because we learn about the ontological trinity, what we saw last week, by the economic trinity. And you'll see how that, how that makes sense in just a little bit. So the first section on your note sheet is a little bit of a review of what we talked about with Revelation. The purpose of Revelation in the economic trinity, you can see in point one, I have general revelation in there. And I have special revelation in there. And we talked about, we spent a week on each one. Uh, just for a quick reminder, remember general revelation is how God reveals himself in creation, um, just in the created world. Uh, we could see the beauty of God in the beauty of creation. We could see the greatness of God, the bigness of God in the bigness of the universe. Uh, that would all fall under general revelation. Remember special revelation is a little bit more specific in scripture. 
the specific thing God says about himself and how he's revealed himself to us in his word. Um, and the reason I wanted to review these things is because general revelation and special revelation, uh, they are brought out to us, they are revealed to us through the economic trinity, through the works God does externally. Um, and you can see in the parentheses on your note sheet, for general revelation, it's uh, seen in the work of creation, right? The trinity, the triune God, the Father, Son, and Spirit are all working in creation. And that's what, how he reveals himself to us in general revelation. And then we see the Father, Son, and the Spirit, we will see uh, their work in redemption. And then the story of redemption is predominantly revealed to us in God's word. And so that's why that would fall under special revelation. So what I want for us to be able to see tonight is how revelation all ties in to the Trinity and then how we then respond to God in worship from this revelation. We respond to God also then by the Trinity. Uh, the Trinity reveals himself and then we respond and worship to him. I worship him also by the Trinity itself. And so we'll see the economic Trinity in play in this. So there's some discussion points as you can see in your note sheet that I want us to first discuss, nail down before then we jump into creation and then redemption. All right. So this would be really similar to what we did last week. We have a lot of passages and discussion points or concluding thoughts. Um, but I want to start with these ones. You could see the first point. If the purpose of God's revelation is for us to truly know God, right? He reveals himself for a purpose. Then we can be sure that we can truly know God for who he is based on how he has revealed himself. That seems pretty simple, right? And logical. But it's very important for us to be able to start with that, be able to confess that. Right, God reveals himself to us through general and special revelation so that we could truly know him. Um, I'm not saying that we can know him fully. Right, He doesn't fully reveal himself to us. There's so much more to God that we don't know. But what we do know about God, we can know is true. That's what I mean when I say truly. So the purpose of God's revelation is for us to truly know God then we can't be sure that the things that we do know about him that we can, uh, are true um, based on how he has revealed himself to us. And the second one, the work of creation and redemption uh, does not change God's essence. Remember we talked about essence in the weeks previous? That's what we mean when we say God is one. The essence of God, the nature of God, that's his oneness, right? The oneness of God. The work of creation and redemption does not change God's essence, but shows us God's essence, right? That's pretty much stating the same point again, but just in a little bit in a different way, right? God's external works in revelation and revealing himself is to show us, who his, show us his very essence, who he is. Um, third point, because we can see how the subsistences or I could say the persons of the one God relate to each other as Father, Son, and Spirit all throughout Scripture. 
his special revelation, we can know they are always related to each other this way before creation because he is unchanging. So this is going a little bit deeper with this third one, and you might have to read through that one or two times to get it. Because we can see how the, you could change that word to make it easier, uh, persons uh, of the one God relates to each other as Father, Son, Spirit. We see how the Father, the Son, and Spirit relate to each other in Scripture, and we could see that because he has revealed himself to us um, through his special revelation, special revelation, we can know they have always related to each other this way before creation. Because the way he reveals himself to us, remember, tells us who he is. Um, that's the purpose of his revelation. All right. And I left a blank there uh, if we wanted to add anything. But let's discuss these three points. Is there any clarification that needs to be made on these three points? These will be uh, expounded on uh, a little bit more as we progress in this. And you'll see at the very end the concluding thoughts, how they add a little bit to this. Uh, but is there any discussion that you guys want to have based on these starting premises? Do they seem straightforward and simple enough? I see some head nods. You talk about general revelation yes. and to truly know God, but we're looking at a fallen world. Mm -hmm. So how do you know? Because mm -hmm. what we see is not what God created. We're seeing a fallen world. So how do we know God's nature? Because we're seeing a sin nature in this creation. Yeah. Not a sin, you know, sin manifest. Yeah, I mean, we are looking at it with corrupted eyes, right? Our lens is corrupted. Uh, and so that's why we would say that general revelation, right, is not complete in itself um, for us to truly know God. Um, this is why we need special revelation. For, because for us to be able to know God in any meaningful way that brings about salvation, to know God personally, we need special revelation, right? But once we then receive special revelation, we can then also look at general revelation as Christians and rightly interpret it um, to some extent, right? Because scripture reveals to us that God is grand and he is big and he is supreme as we looked at last week, we could gather all that from looking at a beautiful sunset or sunrise or mountains or whatever that may be. Um, but that's a good point, right? We can only properly interpret uh, general revelation because of special revelation. I would say that. But these are still the means and way, the ways he reveals himself. Right? So, but my main point I want us to see and recognize is the simple truth that has big implications that we what how God works in the world, in creation, in redemption, the way we see him saving us, is he, he works in creation and redemption to reveal himself to us. So we can learn about who he truly is as the ontological trinity through the economic trinity. 
if that makes sense. Um, and if you've been following along for these past couple weeks, hopefully those terms are a little bit easier. And if not, I still have the glossary in the back uh, for you guys to uh, help with those terms. All right, is there anything else we got that you guys wanted to add on that line of just what we've learned previously that we think is significant to say about the Trinity? I know we haven't looked at any Bible verses yet, so this will be a little bit more difficult, but just uh, on review of what we've talked about in the previous weeks, is there anything you guys want to add that you think is significant? All right, that's fine. Well, let's dive into the undivided work of God in creation. Uh, so I'm just going to be straight up with you all um, that I am coming about this study with the idea that there is such a thing as something called the doctrine of inseparable operations. Um, I've talked about this in the past, and what this teaches, and this will be clear as we progress in this, is that the works of God in creation and redemption, um, or really any other work he does, uh, it's undivided. As in, the Father doesn't have his own work over here, the Son doesn't have his own work over here, and the Spirit doesn't have his own work over here. Because there is one God that we worship, it's all one work, um, and you'll see how the different persons of the Trinity does that one work together. So that's the doctrine of inseparable operations. It's operations that God does that are inseparable. All right, so that's why it says the undivided work of God in creation. So from God the Father, creation happened. From God the Father, creation happened. So we have some verses here, um, and we'll talk about them. And then... I guess I only have three, for God the Father, and then this next section for creation, you can see it says, through God the Son, creation happened. And then the spot for the Holy Spirit, it says, by slash in God the Spirit, creation happened. So I'll be showing, uh, hopefully we'll see this as we progress, that the main way that God works in his inseparable operations is that Things come from the Father, through the Son, and by or in the Spirit. Right? Think of redemption, and we'll talk about this. Uh, salvation comes from the Father, through the Son, by the Spirit. We could see it's the one work of God at, at play here. And so we'll see a little bit about this in creation. It's not as clear in creation, but we'll talk about it. So let's start with Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. We see God there already before the heavens and the earth. Romans 11.36, for from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. 1 Corinthians 8.6, yet for us there is one God, the Father, from whom all thing, are all things and from whom we exist and one Lord Jesus Christ, through whom are all things, and through whom we exist. So these are really just the three passages I pulled out for God the Father. Um, and you could argue where it says, 
in Genesis 1-1, God, that that could ultimately be referring to the entire Trinity, right? Uh, and also in Romans, it's not specific exactly in which persons of the Godhead it's referring to there. Uh, where you see it says from him and through him, I would say maybe that's referring to Christ because we see things that are happening through Christ and then to him, maybe going back to the Father there um, are all things. But what I want us to see, and it will become more clear specifically in redemption, that all things come from the Father. Um, and this is significant because who is the Father? He is the first person of the Trinity, right? Uh, the Son and the Spirit are begotten or proceeds from him, right? He is the unbegotten one. He is the Father. He is the one who initiates all things into existence. So all things come from God the Father. I think the 1 Corinthians 6, 8 passage is the most explicit in this because it explicitly says the Father and from whom all are all things, right? And from whom we exist, right? We see that there. And then it distinguishes that from the Son, but it still says we're from the Son, but we're through, we come in through the Son. So we see a little bit of the distinction there and how God works in creation. So let's go to the Son. Let's look at the Son and Spirit, and then we'll discuss it a little bit more. So through God the Son, creation happened. The one work of God in creation uh, happened through the Son from the Father. In John 1, 1 through 3, it says, In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. Right? We see the deity of God, of Christ, so plainly here. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything that was made. John 1.10, he was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. Hebrews 1.10, and you, Lord, this is referring to Christ specifically in the text, uh, lay the foundations of the earth in the beginning, uh, and the heavens are the work of your hands. It doesn't necessarily explicitly say things were made through him, right? But it's the idea that we know that Christ is creator alongside Father as creator. Because there is one God, there aren't two creators, right? There is one creator who is God. And who is this one God? This one God is the Trinity who creates things from the Father through the Son and by the Spirit. Let's look at the Spirit. This one, honestly, is the hardest one, uh, hardest category to... uh, to find, uh, to pinpoint passages for verses for. Um, But you can see here, uh, by or in the Spirit, creation happens. Genesis 1, 2, the earth was without without form and void. The darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. So we see the Father, from the Father through the Son, And by the Spirit, creation is happening. The Spirit is what's up and close and personal, bringing about, applying creation to happen. Right? It's hovering over the face of the water. We have Psalm 33, 6. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, 
and by the breath of his mouth all their host. Uh, the word for spirit um, is also many times translated as the breath of God, or it's also the wind uh, of God, or the spirit of God. It's all the same type of idea. Um, so even though there's less scriptural evidence for this specific category, we can conclude because there is one God that's always existed as one God with the Father, Son, and Spirit as this one God, and this one God is creator, uh, then the Spirit has a role in that, right? And with, with redemption, the Spirit's role comes out a lot, becomes a lot more obvious in how he works alongside the Father and the Son. And so we could apply that a little bit in creation then with his external works. Uh, so let's quickly go over this quote, um, and then we'll go over these discussion points, and we'll discuss it a little bit more before we get into redemption. All right. So Augustine, he's one of the most famous early church fathers. Um, the reason why I have this quote on here is to show that this, what I'm trying to show, that the work of God is undivided, is something that the church has confessed for thousands of years. Um, all the way, this is the earliest quote I could find um, with Augustine. It says, Not that the Father should be understood to have made one part of the whole creation and the, and the Son another and the Spirit yet another, but that each and every nature has been made simultaneously by the Father through the Son in the gift of the Holy Spirit. Every particular thing you see has simultaneously about it these three. There, that it is one something, and that it is distinguished by its own proper look or species from other things, and that it does not overstep the order of things. And so we see Augustine also kind of pulling out this idea, right? Things are from the Father through the Son and then applied in some way by or in, in the Spirit. All right. What is the purpose of Revelation? The purpose of Revelation is to reveal God to reveal himself to us, for us to be able to know him, right? And we're thankful for that so we can know him and we can have salvation, right? Um, and what we'll see in a little bit is we're able to respond to God's revelation. And that's called worship, right? How do we worship? We, we worship God in the reverse order in the way that he has revealed himself to us. We worship in the spirit through the son to the father, right? Uh, God reveals himself to us as a Trinitarian God by the Trinity, and we worship in response to the Trinitarian God by the Trinity in the Spirit, through the Son, to the Father. And that's what we will see. So let's look at the discussion points. The Father is described as the one from whom all things come in creation. Yet he does it through the Son, making the Son also creator, but not a distinct creator. We kind of talked about that and by the Spirit, as the Spirit applies the work of creation as he hovers over the waters. The Son is called Creator because he is the one God 
with the Father because all of creation happened through him and without him was not anything made that was made. The Spirit is less visible in creation, but we do see him present. It is by the breath of God, his Spirit's creation was accomplished. Have you all ever thought of the work of God and creation this way before? I see one head shaking no. No. What are you guys' thoughts about this? What are you guys' reactions to this? Is there anything that isn't necessarily clear? Um, do you think it's fair to come to these types of conclusions based on these passages? And I will be honest with you, I'm reading into creation specifically a little bit from what we know from redemption. We see a lot about how God works in redemption uh, from the Father through the Son by the Spirit. And then we could see that applied in so many different ways. And then we see how that's also consistent and doesn't contradict anything in the way he does creation as well. Um, but where are you guys' initial responses to this? Does this seem, do you guys not know what to think about it? That God is the top of the Trinity, I, I guess you would say, mm-hmm. and then the message is brought through Christ and delivered to us through the Spirit. Yeah. Yeah, and there's there's a purpose of why we say he's the first person of the Trinity, right? I never thought how you just did it backwards. Never kind of mentally thought, okay, well we basically worship, you know, through the Spirit, to Christ to God. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So how do you pray? And we're kind of getting ahead of ourselves. How do we pray with a Trinitarian lens? We don't necessarily pray. I mean, you could pray to the Father, Son, and Spirit distinctly. Um, but I think it's more faithful and more biblical to say that we pray to the Father through the Son. We're able to do that because we are united to the Son upon salvation and then by the Spirit, by the power of His Spirit. So we see all persons of the Trinity at work in our ability to pray. Right, and that's one example. Um, but what about creation itself? Is there anything here that... I think I, when you talked about this simultaneously having it all happen, I used to think of more linear, mm. of Father, Son, Spirit, and there's a time element, there's a temporal element there. That's just how I kind of thought of it. Not any mm. great depth, but... Yeah. That's kind of... What do you mean with the temporal element? I'm not sure if I'm following. From the Father to, it, in order to have something to, yeah. it has to come after. It comes after. And then by the Spirit, it seems to apply something after that. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, and so going back to the very first week we talked about with the, about the Trinity, so two weeks ago, um, and I know there's a lot, there was discussion on this. This is why I was saying in eternity past, the Son had always had to have been begotten by the Father and the Spirit spirated or proceeded from the Father 
and the Son. Because this is how we see um, the Trinity at work in creation. Remember what we said, God reveals himself to us in his external work so that we could know him for who he truly is ontologically or who he is in and of himself. Um, and there could be more discussion on that, which is fine. Uh, but I think it becomes even more clear in redemption. But, yeah. Was he human before he even came down? Not human, but did he have that image? Jesus, I would say, was always the image of the invisible God, but it became a lot more real of an image to us when he became man among us, right? But when he said, "Make let us make man in our image, right? There's a plurality there uh, that when God refers to himself, and I would say that's pointing to the Trinity even in the very beginning in the Genesis account, right? We are made in the image of God. Uh, and God images himself through the Son. Uh, and we see that explicitly at play when he becomes, becomes the incarnate Son, right? You could push back potentially and say, well, was, he, was Christ always the image of the invisible God before he took on his human flesh? And that's, I think, fair pushback. Um, and I would say he was always intended to be the image of the invisible God. And this is going back to Colossians 1.15, right, where it says that he is the image of the invisible God, referring to Christ himself. Um, but yeah, it's fully expressed though when he takes on human form uh, because then he gets to image God perfectly as a human because he's not tainted by sin. We are still image bearers of Christ, but we are distorted images because of sin. So if you think about it like this then, if Christ is the perfect image of the invisible God, uh, when we become united to Christ upon salvation, right, his righteousness is then imputed onto us. So we are perfectly able to image God again, so therefore glorify God in this world, not because of our imaging, but because of Christ's imaging in us. Right? So that's a pretty cool reality. And the Holy Spirit is the one who unites us to Christ to be able to do that. So... Is there anything that you guys want to write on this line based on some of these passages that we read? Or creation? I want to stress that there's one work, but there's separate actions. There's separate actions. Of the one work. Sure. Sure. There are... As in, the Father was not the one who died on the cross for our sins, right? The Spirit was not the one who died on the cross for our sins. Um, that is 100% true. And, and, and throughout cre even creation, you know, there's separate actions. <clears throat> yes. It's harder to see and distinguish the actions, I think, in creation, right? Because we see in John, uh, the Gospel of John, the whole work of creation is attributed to Christ. 
but then we also know the whole work of creation is attributed to God the Father. Um, so it's harder to distinguish that, but in some sense, that's why I think it's fair and biblical to be able to say things happen from the Father through the Son and by the Spirit. And that's how I think we could distinguish it in creation. And that's what I tried to do a little bit here, but it is less visible, at least, for creation itself. More visible in redemption, for sure, in that specific order. Anything else about creation? All right, redemption will be, I think, is the longest section, and we have a, a strong half hour for this, so that's, that's really good. Uh, so the undivided work of God in redemption. And also, I want to say this, a side note. Why is it so important for us as Christians to stress the undivided work of God? Is it important to stress this? Nancy's saying yes. Some may not think so as much. I mean, there's a big discussion of this in, amongst Christians, and that's, that's good to discuss these things. I would be one to say it is important to stress it because there's only one God, right? Once we get to the idea of there's one work happening over here that's distinct from one work happening over here that's distinct from one work happening over here, then we're getting into different agencies happening um, at work, and then it's getting very close to tritheism, I think, a little too close for my comfort, and we are getting away from the monotheistic idea of one God at work. Um, but then we see how the Trinity fits in this because it's from the Father through the Son. By the Spirit, this one work happens because this one God is the Father, Son, and Spirit. The Father who sends the Son and sends the Spirit in that order. All right. So from God the Father, redemption occurs. Redemption occurs. I couldn't figure out really what word to use after the word redemption there. Because you can see for creation, I said happened. I first had happened here, but then it sounds so final um, with that. And I think it's fair to say for creation because creation is over. But for redemption, I mean, people are still being redeemed, right? Um, so that's why I changed the word there to occurs. So... All right, let's look at God the Father. Uh, John 1, 14, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as the only Son, from the Father, full of grace and truth. So we see the Son coming from the Father. John six sixty five, And he said, This is why I told you that no one can come to me unless... It is granted by the Father. It doesn't use the word from necessarily here, but it's the same idea that the Father is the one who is initiating this, right? Unless it's granted by the Father, from the Father. Second uh, Corinthians 5.18, all this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation to be reconciled with God. We have both God the Father and God the Son mentioned explicitly in this with that language, from and through, right? Uh, Ephesians 1, 5, 
he, and it's referring to the Father here, predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ. So we see both again here, according to the purpose of his will. Again, it's the Father who's initiating this. It's Ephesians 1, 5. 1 Peter 1, 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy. He has caused us to be born again to the living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. So many of these passages, it's referring to Father and Son. Things are initiated by the Father, come from the Father or by the Father through the Son. Right? Why does God work this way? Because this is who he is in and of himself. And he's always been this way because he is ultimately always unchanging. That's one of the attributes we looked at last week. All right. Through God the Son, redemption occurs. Right? This is not a separate act, but it's happening through the Son. Uh, John 1.17, For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. John 3.16 and 17, right? One of the the most popular verse in the Bible, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him, believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Right? You see, the father is the one sending the son. This is the gospel. These things happen from the father through the son. So the salvation can happen ultimately through, through Christ. Uh, Romans three twenty one through 25a, the first part of 20, verse 25. We actually, this was one of our memory verses not too long ago um, as a church. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. So it has been shown apart from the law. Who shows us God? Jesus does. We know this, right? Because he's the image of God. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, uh, whom God put forward. So you kind of have the idea of God the Father's one initiating this, right? God's one, God put forward as propitiation by his blood, to be received by faith. Uh, This is a passage that's a good example. When we see uh, scripture say through Christ, it could go either way. And what I mean is, it could be through Christ in God's revelation, or it could be through Christ in our response. As in, the Father, through Christ, by the Son, reveals himself to us. Right? Right? But sometimes in Scripture, it says through Christ when it's referring to through Christ, I can have access to the Father. That's our response. So it's the other way around, right? In the Spirit, through Christ to the Father. And so there's, I was trying to pick the passages in here that specifically was from the Father through the Son. But sometimes I think it's a little tricky to know exactly um, where it is. Uh, But let's continue. Romans 5.21, so that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. 1 Thessalonians 5.9, for God has not destined us for wrath, but 
to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. Um, and then there's just so many verses. I just wrote a bunch more there. <laughs> um, I was going to do that as well for the Father and the Spirit when it comes to redemption because there's so much that's showing that this is from the Father or somehow initiated by God the Father, caused by God the Father. Um, and then also there's so much that we see that's by the Spirit, by the Spirit, or in the Spirit, um, that obviously we can't go through all of those. Um, but for your benefit, I only wrote the ones that are through Christ. But I didn't get time to do the ones for the Father or the Spirit for this one. Because there's a lot. But um, before we get to the Spirit, uh, is there any comments on any of the passages, any clarification in how I'm using it? So you can see I italicize this section, obviously, that I want you guys to pay attention to in the verses. Um, is there any question on how I'm using the verses specifically? No. All right, let's go to the Spirit. So by or in God the Spirit, redemption occurs. Romans 8, 9. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. Romans eight fourteen. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. 1 Corinthians six eleven. And such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Right? The Holy Spirit is referred to as the Spirit of God the Father, but it's also referred to as the Spirit of God the Son. Right? So this is the Spirit of both the Father and the Son, which makes up the third person of the Trinity. Um, Galatians 5.18, but if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Ephesians 2.22, in him you also are being built together into the dwelling place for God by his Spirit. Titus 3.5-6, he saved us uh, according to his own mercy by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior. So we see the through there as well. Uh, and that was also one of our memory verses not too long ago. Um, again, there are many passages in here where we see the language of by or in the Spirit. I do want to make the point that it's not so important as the English word itself, right? But what do we mean? by that English word, um, by or in. We mean ultimately that it's the Holy Spirit as the third person in the Trinity is the one who is really the closest thing to us um, applying the work that God has done, right? The Father is the one initiating it. The Son is the one who accomplishes it. We see this upon the cross. And then the Spirit is the one who is up and personal with us, 
um, and applying it to us. Um, and this is what we mean language-wise when we talk about by or in. Right? There are other parts in Scripture where we might say uh, by Jesus Christ, right? Um, or by the Father. We saw one of those where it says by the Father. So it's not as important that the word by always has to be attributed to the Spirit, but it's how we're using the term, right? It's the Father initiating, the Son is the middle person, and this makes sense. He's the mediator, right, between us and God, and the Spirit is the one who um, convicts us to be able to see that, and it gives us that salvation. All right, let's look through these, some of these discussion questions. Uh, the external works of God to reveal himself, right? This is where his revelation is. The general revelation, special revelation. The external works of God to reveal himself looks like the Father causing things through the Son and by or in the Spirit. Right? That's what we're trying to see. The order of the way God works. Right? The first person of the Trinity, then the second person of the Trinity, then the third person of the Trinity in the one work of redemption. Second, this means the Father initiates the work. The Son accomplishes the work. And the Spirit then applies the work. I've already kind of used this language um, throughout it. Chris, we're on page four. Uh, third bullet point. So these next three here, what I am trying to do is I'm trying, I'm attempting, and it, it's not perfect, I'm attempting to show how the Father alone is fully God in the work of creation, or of redemption um, himself. And then we see the Son, fully God, in the work of creation and redemption himself. And the same thing with the Spirit um, in these things. So the next point, I'm highlighting the Father. Point after that, I'm highlighting the Son. Point after that, I'm highlighting the Spirit. Or you could say the Father initiates the work and he accomplishes it through the Son um, and by the Spirit. Or you could say the Son accomplishes the work that is, initiate, uh, that is initiated, uh, there's a little typo there, from the Father by the Spirit, or then the last one. Or you could say the Spirit applies the work from the Father that is accomplished through the Son. Right. I think this might be an easier lesson because we're repeating ourselves a lot, right? From the Father through the Son by the Spirit. Um, let's, let's discuss this. Um, have you all thought of this way, this way of thinking about the Trinity before as it relates to redemption? You said no for creation for most of you. I would probably guess most of you have thought in some way in these terms, because we always say we're saved through Christ. Um, but maybe it wasn't necessarily laid out explicitly like this, right? It's consistent. What was that? It's consistent. That's what I thought. It's consistent, yeah, exactly. Maybe not the exact term. 
Mm -hmm. It's consistent with what we confess um, about how God saves us. Is there anything you guys want to add for this last line here? Does it, the Spirit live within us? Mm -hmm. Yes, definitely. And thank God for that, right? If, if we didn't have His Spirit, um, we wouldn't be joined to Christ, right? Because we have the Spirit of Christ, we are united to Christ. Um, it's called our union with Christ. We have a union with Christ because of his spirit who joins us to him. Uh, and because we have union with Christ, we are united to the Godhead and therefore have access to God the Father because we become sons of God because we become united to the one who is the Son of God. Though we have the spirit in us, we don't always, uh, rarely ever fully let it work. That's that's you know it, it, it's there, but we kind of say, well, let's stay in that back room over there. That's true. Yeah, I mean, because we're talking about how God is revealing Himself to us. We a little bit talked about then we are able to respond to God because He then has revealed Himself to us because He has given us the tools to be able to reveal Him for us to be able to respond to Him, such as the Spirit, and then our union with Christ, and then we, then we have access to God the Father. Um, but so there's that distinction, right? Revelation and then our response. Our response is the worship. And many times we may not respond to God's revelation appropriately, as Lonnie suggested. The Spirit justifies us, but whether or not we allow it to sanctify us. Yeah. I mean, once we receive the Spirit, we're fully justified, right, before God. Uh, and we made this distinction a little bit last week where we said there's a difference between union and communion, right? When we are justified, perfectly saved because of the work of Christ, the finished work of Christ on the cross, uh, we, have perfect commun or we have perfect union with God, right? We can't lose that union. We're united to Christ forever because of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is said to be our seal, right? That's uh, what Scripture teaches us. Um, but our response then is our ability to be in communion with God, right? He communicates himself to us, then we are able then to communicate back to him because he has first communicated to us. Um, and that communion sometimes is lacking, right? The analogy I've said many times in the past, union is like the sun, always full. Our communion is sometimes like the moon, where it's sometimes half, sometimes full, many times like a sliver or... Sometimes we can't see it. <laughs> what was that? Do you mean prayer? Prayer is all part of it. Prayer, um, it could be any expression to show our affections for God. Yeah, but prayer is a great, well, predominant way we show our affections for God. We, I have a youth group shirt. We have a youth group shirt here at the church that the youth group kids wear that's called, that has on the front, reciprocating God's affections. Um, and that's the idea that God has revealed his affections to us 
from the Father through the Son by the Spirit. Yeah, George is holding it up right now. VC's wearing it. Um, and we then are able to reciprocate those affections God gives us back onto God. And that's what our worship is. Then in the Spirit, through the Son, to the Father. Uh, because think of it like this. We are broken sinners who we don't have anything worthwhile on our own that's, that we could give God, right? All of our works are like dirty, filthy rags. It's what scripture teaches. So what can we give God uh, to show him our appreciation, our love for him? Anything, what is something worthwhile that we could give him? Well, the answer is, it's his own, God's own affections that he first gives us. Anything worthwhile in life, right, is from God. God's love, God's mercy. Uh, well, we can't, we don't reciprocate his mercy back out to him. But his love, right, is a great example. Um, and so then, because he has revealed his love to us, shown us his love from the Father, through the Son, by the Spirit, in redemption, we're then able to reciprocate those affections back to him in our worship. And then that's something worthwhile to give him because it's not originated from us, but it's originated from God. So then we reciprocate that by the Spirit through the Son to the Father. And that's what we mean when we say reciprocating God's affections. God reveals, we receive, and then we respond. We worship the Trinity by the Trinity. Now you know what I mean when I say that. Right? We worship the Trinity because he is the triune God. He's the object of our worship. But he's also the mode of our worship. By the Spirit, through the Son, to the Father. We can't worship the Trinity if we ne- never first received the Trinity um, upon salvation. Do you guys see how that works? And so that's, I, I love the subject. And that's why I'm um, passionate about that. All right. Yes. Um, you said Christ's spirit. Yes. Rather than the Holy Spirit or God's spirit or just spirit, mm-hmm. Christ's spirit. You go into a little bit more detail about that. I mean, I would use them all the same. Uh, the Holy Spirit is referred to as Christ's spirit and God's spirit. Um, it's the spirit ultimately that even joins the Father and the Son together in the triune relationship. Uh, and it's the spirit that joins us to the triune relationship. Um, I don't necessarily have the verse off the top of my head. Yeah, I, don't, I never heard, I, that's why I was thinking, like, I mean, remember King James, he says the Holy Ghost, right? Mm-hmm. And then Jesus says, I'm going to leave you a helper. Mm-hmm. And so I can see where it kind of comes up with that name, the Holy Ghost. is like, but that's why it's wrong, because it's not Jesus. It's a, a whole separate person. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I, I never, I, I can't think of ever hearing it. I'll follow up with you um, on that once I uh, look up the passage. Okay. So I don't have it off the top of my head. But ultimately, when I when you say Christ's spirit, I'm referring to the spirit of God, right? Uh, and he's, we could talk about him as a distinct person uh, because 
once Christ leaves, right, the Father and then the Son both send us his Spirit separately, right? Because it's then the Father's, or the Spirit's role in then applying the work that the Father initiated, that the Son accomplished, right, onto us. But there before, because when Christ says, who am I, and, he, and, and Peter says, you know, uh, you know, the Christ, and he says, who, he tells them that, he, that the Spirit has revealed that to him. So mm-hmm. the Spirit is there, it's just a different indwelling that is sent at Pentecost. Well, the Spirit's throughout the Old Testament. Yeah, yeah, on. yeah. It's, it's just a different. But it's not Christ. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. But, Your first example. But it's, he's saying it's the same thing. Has the Spirit of Christ in it? It has the Romans 8, 9. The, the Romans 8, 9 yes. passage. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ, yeah, does not belong to him. So you have the idea there. And also, when you look at the Gospels, Christ's ministry while he was living here as the incarnate Son, right, uh, he does the will of the Father, which makes sense because it's the Father who is initiating these things, working through the Son in the world. Um, but he does his, the miracles, he does his work as the Son in the Spirit. Um, he does it by the Spirit, by the Holy Spirit. And so we see the Spirit also working in that, in that way. And in that sense, you could say, well, it is the Spirit of Christ because that was the Spirit that Christ was working within at that point. But he was always joined with Christ because there's always been the one essence of God. So, yes. So all of Christ's works were done through the Spirit? In a sense. <laughs> I mean, we see upon at his baptism, right, the Holy Spirit coming upon him at that point, and uh, that's when his ministry occurs and then throughout his life or within throughout the gospels and you see him working out his ministry it says he's doing things within by the spirit or in the spirit um so at that point i would say the 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 man of jesus in a in a way received the spirit but yet the son as him being fully god has always been united to the Spirit anyways. So in that way, we, it's hard to describe it. Um, and I mean, it's hard to describe God sometimes, uh, as we all know. Um, so... Uh, but at that point, was the Spirit in Jesus or on Jesus? The, like during his ministry on earth? The Spirit is in Christ, I would say. Uh, or on, it, it, I mean, I would need to know how you're trying to, how we're trying to define those terms. Was Christ indwelled by the Spirit, or was the Spirit on him, like in the Old Testament, when, like the Spirit was on David? Was on yeah, that's a good question. Um, that could be a further discussion later. <laughs> because, I, I mean, that's a big discussion. Does he, is, does he need the Spirit? Yeah. Well, I I would say, though, as well, like the Father, it's impossible for the Father to be the Father all by itself, all by himself. Like, there's never going to be a time where the Son and the Spirit are also there 
and dwelling each other. Because this is our, our God, this is our Trinity, right? Uh, who we worship. It's who always, in time, eternity past and eternity future, will always be the Father, Son, and Spirit, perfectly indwelling each other. Um, so it's hard to, when we try to talk about one person of the Godhead separately from the others. And so that's what I'm trying to show with the works here. We can't talk about the works even of creation and redemption um, as one person of the Godhead separately. Um, the Father was just as much at work in the incarnation, right? But his job was the one who was sending the Son. And then the one, um, so then the Son, while he was here, was doing the will that, of the Father, right? Uh, who was, because the Father was causing it all. And then the Spirit as well. He was doing things in the Spirit. Even though the incarnation, we predominantly see the Son, right? right. Because the incarnation is. Uh, the sun alone being incarnate. So it's, it just gets tricky when you try to distinguish one person separate from the other two because you don't really ever see that in, in Scripture. But I think through Jesus' life, you can really see what you were saying played out. Like God sending his son and then his son, you know, Jesus initiating the work of salvation. Accomplishing it. Accomplishing the work of salvation. Yeah. And the Spirit applying it, even like with Jesus' miracles, how he applied the miracle. Like, so the, the, the three separatenesses of them, I think, can be really seen through Jesus' life on earth. Yeah. Yeah. Or well. I, I, I agree. Thought about that way. Yeah. And uh, going back, if you could remember. Um, the very first week we talked about the Trinity two weeks ago, we started off the discussion with a Fred Sanders quote. <laughs> Fred Sanders is a theologian um, who teaches, I forget what school he teaches at, but that doesn't matter. Um, we were, because we were starting the discussion, and what is the Trinity like? Like you have those analogies, is he like the egg, is he like water, or these different forms, or whatever. And the quote was, he ultimately, as he says, as he teaches his students the Trinity, he says that this Trinity is like this. The Trinity is like the Father who sends the Son and the Spirit. And I think, based on our discussion today, we could see how that is more of a significant thing to say than what it just might simply seem to be on surface level. Right? We know the Father is the one who sends the Son and the Spirit. But what Fred Sanders is saying when he says the Trinity is like the Father who sends the Son and the Spirit, he is making an ontological claim by seeing who he is and how he has worked in the world. Remember, God reveals himself to us in his external works so that we can know who he is in himself truly. So therefore, we can't say the Trinity. What is the Trinity like in and of himself? Well, he's like the Father um, who sends the Son and the Spirit because we see all of creation at play that way. That's things through the Son, by the Spirit, from the Father. We see things play out that way in redemption. We see things play out that way in all different uh, modes in the way God communicates himself to us. So then it could be consistent then, if that's how he reveals himself to us, that is who God is like. And then, then going back 
two weeks ago again. This is why I would say then the Son has always eternally been begotten by the Father because he's always been the Son. There's always been a Father. That's how they've always related to each other. The Spirit has always been breathed out by the Father and the Son uh, because there's always been a Spirit. This, this is how they're distinguished before creation. Um, and then he reveals himself that way to us, and then therefore we could say that about who he actually is ontologically. So, um, I don't know, final thoughts. We did well the time. I wasn't sure if we would actually fill the time, which is strange, I think, for my teaching. <laughs> um, did, was this helpful? Yeah, yeah. So the passage I would go to is Ephesians 2.18. Um, I actually don't, I don't think I have that written down, uh, but I, I have it right here. Ephesians 2.18, this is a passage we looked at, I believe, two weeks ago. For through him, this is referring to Christ, we, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. How does Jesus tell us we ought to pray? I mean, he teaches us to pray to the Father. How do we have access to the Father to be able to pray to him? We have access to the Father through him um, in the one Spirit, right? God reveals himself from the Father um, through the Son by the Spirit. And therefore, we, we, see, we could see his affections he has given us, his love, his beauty, all these awesome things. And then we could respond to him in the one spirit that we receive through the Son to the Father. And so then, therefore, we pray to the Father um, in our union with Christ because we're able to do it in our union with Christ because of the spirit we have. Right? So we're not necessarily praying specifically to pray to your Father, pray to your Son, and pray to your Holy Spirit. I mean, you could do that. There's no reason why we're told not to. But I think the most biblical way to pray in a Trinitarian way, is by the Spirit, through the Son, to the Father. Is that helpful? What did you say? By the Spirit, to the Son, to the Father? Through the Son. Through the Son. Mm-hmm. It's just the reversal of the way he has revealed himself right. to us. I mean, so that's, but I have heard people say, like, dear Jesus, you know, pray to Jesus. Mm-hmm. I think that's fine. I'm not saying that's wrong. It's all part of the I mean, yeah, it's all God, but... I think it's most biblical the way I'm presenting it because I think that's how Scripture talks about the persons of the Godhead. Um, I mean, Ephesians 2.18, I think, is just an easy reference to go to regularly to see how we have access to God the Father. How do we have access to God? Through the Son, in the Spirit. Right? So... But yeah, they're all one God. You could actually say, you're Holy Spirit. Sure. I'm not going to say you can't. I mean, he's God. I, I wouldn't say it would be wrong. Yeah. And Jesus is the high priest, so you could be talking to the high priest that would would make our case to God. It's true. Yeah, definitely. I mean, the Ultimately, holy... Ultimately, our prayers are going to the highest power. 
well, who is God himself. <laughs> yes, and uh, because God is no, what was that? Uh, yeah, exactly. That's what I, I would say. There's no hierarchy because there's one God, right? And he presents himself this way, and this is then what I would say how we confess him. Um, what you said, there's no hierarchy, is a big discussion also, though, within Trinitarian discussions of if the son bows down in his own will, in a sense, to the Father the, and the Spirit in that way as well. But, I mean, I would think we would have to confess, and this is my own personal conviction, that the one essence of God means there's only one agent of God who subsists as the Father, Son, and Spirit. So that means there's one work of God, there's one will of God, all working perfectly together because we believe in one God. So, all right. Any final thoughts before I close this out in prayer? Next week, we'll look at the first person of the Trinity. Pastor Sam will be teaching. (laughs) Let's pray. Lord, we love you, and we thank you that you have uh, shown yourself to us, Lord. You have communicated yourself to us, and that we can see you, Lord. We can receive you, Lord, um, for who you are truly, Lord. And now we're able to respond to you because you have given us your spirits, and you have united us to your Son, Lord. I thank you for that. I pray that we will... uh, Never forget the significance of who you are and what you have done for us. Lord, without you, we would just be completely hopeless. Not knowing who you are, Lord, we would have no hope. Lord, I think you have chosen to save us. You have given us your son, and you have applied the work of salvation that your son accomplished by your spirit, Lord. We thank you that you are triune. We thank you that you have always been loving, Lord. Um, we thank you that we are able now to participate in this communal relationship of the Godhead that has existed before time itself, Lord, and that we are actually a part of that, Lord, because now we, are, we have been given the right to be called sons of God, Lord, that we have been adopted into your family, because we are now brothers with Christ, um, because of our union with him, because of your spirit. Lord, we thank you that we are able to come before you and speak to you. Lord, we love you, and I pray these things in your name. Amen.